I do love being an integrator and and, that, and my skill set and my personality lends itself really well to that role. But I feel like I am like equally a visionary and, and now more so like the more that I've stepped into that role, the more that I have kind of morphed into that. You're listening to the Freedom Found Podcast, an audio community for freedom-driven entrepreneurs wanting to build and scale an impactful online business that allows you to spend more time with your toes in the sand than your fingers on the keyboard. I'm your host, Crystal Church. I'm a copywriter and consultant, borderless entrepreneur, and wannabe dog mom. On this podcast, we'll talk all things online business, marketing, strategy, mindset, health, travel, and what it's really like to be a borderless entrepreneur. Freedom Found is all about equipping you with insight and actionable tips to help you build your business around your life so you can spend more time exploring new cities, hanging with your family, working on that new business project, or quite frankly, however the hell you'd like. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Freedom Found Podcast. And I am so excited today because I have Jordan Shonda King with me, who is the founder and CEO of Easy Scaling, a consultancy agency that helps female-owned businesses scale with effective strategy and done-for-you execution. She is known for her no-bullshit approach to scaling and operations and over a decade of experience in online business. In her spare time, Jordan chases her two small children around and contemplates the meaning of self-care. Welcome to the Freedom Found Podcast. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. So before we even get into all of the good stuff to come, can you share the background of your entrepreneurship journey and kind of just give us context of how you got where you are today running this incredible large agency and just creating a lot of like space and freedom for the CEOs that you impact? Yeah, so I like you mentioned, have been in online business in some form or fashion for over a decade. My first business, I started with my mom, actually. And that was in my early 20s. And that was that was a college and scholarship prep business. I knew nothing about business. I had, I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, an experience where I realized there was a gap and realized that my mom and I, in this situation we're in a unique position to fill that gap for people. And eventually we were like, oh, I think this is a business, right? Like we have stumbled into something. How did that happen? My second business was somewhat similar in that I was like seeing a gap, really filling a need almost out of like some like like almost a selfish place like this needs this needs to be a thing and and it was in uh this was in online business as well and specifically around female business owners and helping them find community and i was like i need community like why do i feel so like isolated and lonely and like there's no support for me and so solved that problem with a good friend of mine and again we're like oh, we should probably make this legit. Like this is a business. We're selling things, you know? And so this third business, this uh, business Easy Scaling that I run now is the first business that I've started intentionally, that I've started with the intention of it being a business from the start. It wasn't accidental. And it's it's my favorite. It's my favorite business. It's my first solo venture. And I am like obsessed with it, with what I do. 
Let's let's dive into that. Like, what is the difference primarily now in this being a solar venture and and looking back at the two previous businesses that you ran? Like, first of all, amazing to like be able to do that with a best friend and with your mother. I think that yeah. we could all learn lessons and how to work with our loved ones from that. But yeah, what's mainly different in your both day to day and big picture? What are you loving so much about this new era? I think like a lot of business owners it's living in that like visionary role that is a lot of fun for us because we're idea people. And in my two previous businesses, since I was a co-founder, I was often slotted automatically into the integrator role because I do, if anyone's read the book, Rocket Fuel talks about, you know, the visionary and an integrator. Typically it's two different people in a business and and that is like kind of key to to its success because a lot of people are a lot of business owners founders are more visionary and it's very hard to see that see it through you need the integrator piece and so i was automatically slotted into that integrator role in both of those businesses because i do love being an integrator and and, that, and my skill set and my personality lends itself really well to that role but i feel like i am like equally a visionary and and now more so like the more that I've stepped into that role the more that I have kind of morphed into that and I've lost some of my integrator side because I don't I'm not in the weeds as much but I think it's that I get to live in that space more in this business and it's just so fun it's just so fun to be yeah. in that, like to live mm-hmm. in the big vision of what you're building, you know? It is. It is. That's where I thrive. I'm a visionary all the way. And I think that my my absolute favorite days are the ones where I'm like literally sat down with, and I've been talking to my coaching clients about this, like getting them all to buy teacher flip chart paper, like no joke, a big <laughs> space for you to be able to like actually get your ideas out. It's like better than a Google doc and, you know, allows you to just see it in a different way, but playing around in, in that visionary capacity, I think is what I enjoy most as well. It's just such a beautiful space to be in. It is. It's energizing for sure. It is. It is. So I am so interested in this conversation today because I don't think that we often look behind the scenes or like, let's say under the hood of what's actually going on in a, in a CEO and in an agency's, you know, day-to-day life, um, you know, that enables you to both bring in the, the freedom and your lifestyle side of it, but then also like run a highly impactful agency. So let's kind of like crack this egg open a little. And if you could introduce us, maybe more on like a like a upper tier, um, you know, bird's eye view look at what your business actually looks like under the hood a little bit, and then we can like dive a little bit deeper into what what we're all like more wondering about, you know, boundaries, clients, all the the juicy good things. Yeah. Okay. So you want me to break down kind of what we do how we do it and like maybe our structure a little bit. Is that what would be helpful? Yeah, that would, that would be great. And then really thinking about like your role as CEO slash CEO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to make one clarification here that I think is really important that I've been thinking a lot about. And that is specifically the difference between the CEO role and the CEO hat and the entrepreneur founder hat. And, 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 I didn't, it was very recent within the last like month or so that I realized those are actually opposite 
roles to hold. And I feel like most of us in the online space, we use those words kind of interchangeably. And I always have like, oh, like founders or, oh, like, you know, business owners or entrepreneurs or CEOs. Like we just kind of throw around those terms. And I think it's really important to distinguish between being in like an entrepreneurial phase and an entrepreneurial role in your business often earlier on and then morphing your role more into that CEO role, they're totally different. They, they require a totally different approach to what you're doing, the decisions that you're making. And, and I've only learned this as we have grown very quickly and we've grown quite a big team. We have, at this point, we have three employees and we have over a dozen contractors. So we have like a really large organizational structure for like a business our size and for a business in this space. Most people kind of are more opting for like running really lean, which I think is fantastic. That just hasn't been the path for what we do. And because of that, because we have things like employees and like it's, it's, it's more there's more emphasis on me to wear the CEO hat, which is more focused on like Mm -hmm. stability for the business versus like when I had just contractors, I could willy nilly be making decisions every single day. No big deal. There's not a lot of people relying on me for their livelihood, you know? And so it's entrepreneurship, I think is more characterized by like holding risk, experimenting those types of things, quick decision, messy action, Wearing the CEO hat is more characterized by like long-term strategic thinking, optimizing for stability, like really kind of boring things, but equally as important as you grow. (laughs) It's such a good distinction. I'm so glad that you brought that up. And I think that, you know, even considering the Freedom Found podcast listener, like most of you listening right now are probably in that entrepreneurship risk-taking phase and moving into a, a lot of the times when I end up meeting you know, listeners and and clients, they're moving into starting to think about that CEO role, but it's a big transition yeah. too. So could you share with us a little bit, like we'll take a side tangent here and, and what was that like for you to transition into more of that CEO role, um, operating with such a, a large team and being responsible in a different way than with just contractors and you as that, that risk taker? So f- for me personally, I love it. Like I really enjoy it. And, you know, I, I want to also say that for most people running businesses like under a million dollars in revenue, you're wearing both. You're wearing both hats and and you're having to really navigate the balance between the two because for businesses that size, you, you have to have that one person doing both things. Like you're not big enough to have both people. And you still are in that messy phase, like even making less than a million dollars a year, like for sure under half a million, for sure, like around the six figures range, like you are still in that phase where you're needing to figure out what works and take the messy action and experiment and get the data and then like be able to pivot quickly and be adaptable and very nimble. But like you said, it it, it is a, it's a shift that honestly is pretty heavy. And and I didn't realize how heavy it was going to be until like I started having to navigate like firing people, firing employees. Like that that's that's like heavy stuff, you know, or like having to make really hard decisions about about firing clients because it was negatively impacting my team. Once you start realizing that like your your team sometimes often, maybe even always, is actually a more important asset that you need to guard 
versus your clients and the money coming in like that, that type of stuff, like navigating that and trying to figure out like, what is the best decision here for longevity is just heavy, you know? So that honestly, that's what it was like. And it still is. It's, it's, it's pretty heavy. Like the, the weight of responsibility. I think people underestimate that as you grow, it gets heavier. Like it gets heavier because there's more at stake for you, for your employees, for your clients, for for everyone, there's just more at stake. And so that's what it was like and is like and continues to be that way. But it's it's balanced, of course, by so many other amazing things about what we get to do every day. And so it, it's worth it. And I kind of like it. I kind of thrive on that, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Such a beautiful, raw look into what that that journey has been like. And, and I think that that's what's missing so much from the online space. I think that's what's missing from like real real, let's say conversations that we think, you know, we're sharing the overview picture of what day in the life is like. If you're an outsider, if you're looking on social, if you're even following somebody, listening to their podcasts on their newsletter, whatever, you name it. I think that there's so often that missing piece of like the honesty of like how hard the journey can be sometimes or how heavy that can be. But those are also so like, let's say, like, those are beautiful examples of how, yes, it could be heavy um, to have to fire a client or that experience in, um, you know, letting an employee go, but how that comes back to what I'm assuming would be a core value of like the strength within your team and serving your team and making sure that they're prioritized, you know, above all else. So thank you for sharing that with us. Now, let's come back onto our main track here and get that bird's eye view of really what it is you do as an agency both like as a team and as you in the CEO driver's seat. Yeah. Okay. So, and I'm going to try not to go on too many other tangents here because there's just so much context, right? There's so much, there's so much that's gone into this journey and I we're like, tangents. don't even worry. <laughs> we're a pretty young business. So we are, we're not even at two years yet. And, and we, like I said, we've, we've grown very, very fast. Um, and so I think it's important to share too, like, actual facts and figures. So like our first full calendar year in business, 2022, we did about 320K in revenue. So that was like our our first first full year, which was like very Amazing. intense because I also was pregnant and had a baby that year. So oh like it was... Girl, how did you do that? <laughs> yeah. Very, very intense growth trajectory that we have been mm-hmm. on. And wh- why that is important is because like if I flash all the way back to like when we started this business, I started it again, first solo venture, kind of not really sure what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to create something that was like just my own and really was created out of what was unique about me, like what I could uniquely offer people. And it kind of just in a very weird way, which like there's lots of stories there that I think we can go down if we want to, but maybe for another day that something kind of fell into my lap and like presented itself as this obvious thing. Someone was needing strategy and implementation. And I was like, wow, well, that's what I've already always, that's what I've always done as a co-founder, balancing the visionary with the integrator, the strategy and the implementation of these ideas and, and seeing them come to like come to fruition. So it just kind of snowballed from there. And I was intending to build this thing just from me, like just, you know, maybe like a fractional COO role, you know, similar to like an OBM, but like at a, at a deeper, higher partnership level with the business owner, and then also some implementation. Well, that snowballed very quickly because people wanted, the people I were work, I was working with wanted 
everything. They needed everything. Mm -hmm. They didn't just need systems implementation. They didn't just need tech. They needed design. They needed copy. They needed all of these things. And I was doing a lot of it myself and then found out I was pregnant two weeks after I started the business. And I had these clients and I was like, well, this is not going to work. Like I can't do this myself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I know I'm going to be insanely sick for many months and because this is my second kiddo, my my first was one at the time. And I knew that I was going to want to take a maternity leave. And so we kind of fell into this agency model totally on accident just because I knew I was going to need a team and I was going to need help. And we we built a team of about a dozen contractors within 30 days to try to like get ahead of this. So yeah, we that that's like origin. Like let's just wait. I I have to acknowledge. <laughs> Start business. Pregnant with second. So you know first trimester is gonna be tough. Oh yeah. Then you're like, yep. okay, let's just let's just pull the trigger, do the damn thing. And within mm-hmm. 30 days, you've got 12 contractors just ready to go. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yes. And it sounds crazy. It does sound crazy. And it is kind of crazy. It is crazy it in is. the best way. Yeah, yeah. It it, <laughs> it was intense. Here's the some like some extra context. One, I had been in the online space for a long time. So I had a lot of connections, right? Like I knew a lot of people. I wasn't like just going to Facebook groups trying to find random people to join my team starting from scratch. And I had had contractors before in other businesses. So I wasn't new to a lot of this stuff. And I really did have a leg up in a lot of ways because of my two previous businesses. I also... <laughs> why I had to like quadruple down on the business is I had just made an investment in Facebook ads, a 20K investment in Facebook ads. So I wasn't in a position to say, okay, well, I'm pregnant. Let me pause on this idea. Mm -hmm. It was, this is happening. How are we going to figure out how to make it work? (laughs) I can't go back. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's the mentality that so many listeners either are, are experiencing right now and realizing, oh, wait a second, when I have this this attitude and this approach, then I see change or are missing that and wondering. And the, the question that I get all the time on the podcast is like, what are other people doing? Like, how are they making this functional? How are they making it work? And I think that that root question of like, okay, this is a current situation. How do I make it work? Like, how do I get where I want to yeah. go? Like, just literally Asking and then answering that question on a regular basis is like the the first first primary step that you should be taking. Um, so it's just beautiful to see a real life example of that. Yeah, I, I talked about this recently because I think it's important to to shine a light on what this thing is really like, like <laughs> making these decisions on a daily basis and like really sticking in it. Um, because I think going all in on your business is critically important if you want it to actually be successful. But what I think people don't talk about is what that actually looks like is often it's deep commitment and like this, I'm going to make this work no matter what. Like I, I believe so deeply that my business success is like inevitable, but on the daily basis, I am like scared shitless and like there is like so much doubt and like bad stuff happens. Like, like like mm-hmm. terrible bad stuff. And I am ha- happy to like get into this. Like we, and this kind of goes to your question, like because we grew so fast, we eventually got to the point where we had over 20 people on our team. We had eight employees at one point and wow. then over a dozen contractors. And I was building to become a much larger agency and had rolled mm-hmm. out an offer that was selling so fast 
but that wasn't actually working for us. And it wasn't really working for our clients. Like it, it just, it was like a mess. It was like, I was fighting fires every day. We just, I couldn't get it to work for everyone. And we burnt it down and got rid of a, like over half of our employees, transitioned a lot of them back to contractors. And, and that was, that was very heavy and very hard and did not have insignificant financial consequences, right? Like th- there was a big financial hole we dug ourselves into, but I knew that it was the best decision and we've like far surpassed what we're, what we were doing then. We've built all the way back up with our new offers that actually do work, but that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about is like in the yeah. midst of that where it's like, holy shit, I just lost like half of my revenue, but mm-hmm. I'm still catching up on expenses because I overinvested based on the fact that we were doing 40 and 50K months consistently yeah. and now we are not. Like, what am I doing? I have like, I should just like figure out how to burn this thing down and close it. You know, like those types of yeah. thoughts are not uncommon. They're not, they're not. And so, so when you're in that moment, like, did you have doubt in, in the, the switch, taking people off of being employees, switching them to contractors, changing your offer suite or primary offer? Like, were you going into this new phase saying, okay, this is it. I know where we made the mistake. I know that I have, you know, un, unrivaled confidence in this new direction. Or were you like, holy shit, I was so confident before. Now, I don't don't know, you know, is this the right choice? Yeah. What was that experience like for you? All of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All of that. Yep. I, I knew that I knew that the offer wasn't sustainable. And so to, to, to back up even further and like really answer your question from before, like what we do, what we started doing, how we started the entire business was what we called COO and team services. So you brought me on as your COO, you had me for strategy, and then you had access to our entire team, uh, like anyone on our team for implementation, which meant because we had over a dozen people at the beginning, you could tap into copy, you could tap into tech, you could tap into anything, right? And we've grown, like we've grown our expertise. There's a lot of stuff we do now that we didn't do in the beginning. And what I thought was going to be the way to scale was take me out of it because people people need access to a robust, like diverse team to implement for them. Even if they can't afford to work with me on the strategy, it's still a benefit for them to get access to the team and we can lower the costs and they can have, they can, you know, pick and choose what they want, like 10, 15 hours a month, you know, they can just figure that out. That does not work. Mm -mm. No, 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 nope. It does not work. They don't even know what they need. (laughs) They have no idea. And then they ended up being like, this isn't like, this isn't working or, you know, 10 or 15 hours isn't that many hours actually split Mm -hmm. over that many people. And so they were kind of feeling like not much was getting done. And I'm like, well, yeah, because you asked us to write like copy for an entire sales page and like an eight email sequence and you used all your hours and like, yeah, like, yeah, this stuff takes a lot of time. I, I, people don't realize how much time it takes to do a lot of this stuff. And, and so it just didn't work and it didn't work for them, like their perceived value of it didn't match up with what they were getting because it's not cheap. It's not cheap to operate a team that's that diverse. I mean, some of my contractors charge $300 an hour. Like we have to charge a really high rate because you can tap into anyone. So there was just so many things wrong with it. And I realized that after that it just didn't, the types of people it was attracting too, because they were wanting something that cost less money, then they had 
a lot more issues with when they weren't seeing something just like magically happen at the end. And so it was just how it is. (laughs) <laughs> a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that, that yeah, yeah, that's so common. I had one of my clients box me yesterday. She was like, Crystal, how do I know when to um when to lower my prices? I keep getting like some <laughs> some price objections. I was like, my friend, <laughs> if anything, you need to raise your prices, but but it's obviously yeah. like a positioning issue, right? And you're not attracting the right clients. So yeah. Right. So you shifted then created new offer, restructured the team, and then it sounds like repositioned yourself to work with a different level of clientele. Yeah. And, and what's crazy is that we were already working with those people because this was a new offer that we thought this is the way we're going to scale. And so we had our core clients that we were working oh, with, you know, for three, four K a month. And so we were like, well, you know, we're not going to like We weren't getting rid of all of our clients, but we were getting rid of about half of our clients that were all on this new thing that only was in existence for about four months. And we realized after one contract for everyone that this is not, this is not the thing, but it did. It had, it had a very significant impact on our revenue, but we were fortunate that we had other offers. So we have our core offer, our COO and team service that, that still exists from when we started. It's just become a little bit more robust. It's also a lot more expensive than it used to be mm-hmm. because we have consistently raised our prices as we have learned learned our value and expanded our team and invested into our team and all of those kinds of things. It's also just purely like a supply and demand situation here in that we only have about five spots for those clients and we are almost always full. So, mm-hmm. so that has always been there. And then we have a mastermind as well that combines traditional business mastermind with the done for you execution by our team. And that has always done really well. So we realized we were going to get rid of the one offer and we had other revenue coming in, but there's, there is a gap there in time when you get rid of a bunch of clients and an entire offer and a lot Mm -hmm. of your revenue to build back up because we had to increase our capacity to be able to serve more clients in the mastermind and like to do different things like that. So, um, yeah, it was that messy, that messy, like six months between making the decision and burning down that one offer to like being able to build back and, and make up the revenue on, on other things. Yeah. You know, I always talk about this as like the messy journey to simplification, you know, like we yeah. listen to so much advice um, and, and our own excitement and like passion about like ways we can serve clients, uh, offers that we can deploy strategies that, that we can start using and then start to realize that like, you don't need that many cooks in the kitchen to make something successful, to be able to make an impact with your clients. So I know like this definitely had it's down moments for you, but also had a huge breakthrough on the other side. So let's, let's talk about like either within this context or other contexts within your experience as a business owner, the breakthroughs that come after a breakdown in business. Yeah, this happens every single time. Okay. <laughs> and there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different types of breakdowns. Sometimes a breakdown is literally you just like feeling the heaviness and the weight and the doubt and like crying for like hours being like what have I done I'm not cut out for this like what is going on I'm a failure this is never gonna work like that kind of breakdown (laughs) (laughs) yes hands up (laughs) yes yeah everybody knows what I'm talking about here on the other side of that I find 
almost always something good happens. Like some piece of evidence comes our way. Like it could be a few hours later. It could be the next day, a few days later. It's it's usually pretty quick. I feel like on those types of breakdowns where it's like, oh yeah, okay. Things are working, you know, like things are totally working. I just got this new inquiry or like this client sent me like the nicest message or whatever. There's always something I think to like remind us or show us like, no, you're on the right track. You're doing good. It's okay. And sometimes those those things are like really good, like a brand new client signing or something. Yeah. So there's those types of breakdowns and breakthroughs, but then some of them are a lot longer and heavier. So like the one I'm describing that that I would classify as a breakdown that lasted for many months where I was like, oh man, Am I willing to like take on some debt to like keep this thing going because I know I'm on the right track? And then, and then the doubt and fear associated in the breakdowns associated with that until I like eventually got to the other side of it and was like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I did that. I could have easily have given up in that breakdown. And we've had massive breakthroughs on the other side of that. And And then there are smaller ones like firing a non-fit client. I consider that kind of a breakdown where you're finally like, okay, I'm going to, I can't take it anymore. Even though this feels scary because maybe they're like your biggest client or maybe they're your oldest client or like whatever it is that, or maybe you feel like you need the money. A lot of times it's Mm -hmm. hard to say no, especially when you're early on in business, say no to money. But every time every time. And it's so funny because I will text like my friends or colleagues or peers in the space and they'll be like, oh yeah, I just got like three new clients. Like, and this is like a week after they finally fired the client that they've been like. Because before that point, (laughs) right, there's, there's this, this whole shift, like where your mind is just telling you, this is the only client out there. There's nobody else in the world. Like this, yeah. this is it. Even though that that space, whether it's like actual literal space on your roster or it's just like the mental energy. That, it's mental that, space. Yeah, then you're putting out, right? That's keeping yep. you from getting a new client because you're going to behave differently. Yeah. Like what if you need somebody and if you don't need somebody. It's like comical how predictable it is. Yeah. It, it, I've actually never experienced firing a client and like immediately filling the spot with at least one, sometimes more people. It, it's it's like a joke at this point. Like so, someone must be following me around just like waiting to be like, okay, email Jordan. She just fired that client. She's yes. ready for the new one now. Like it's it's great. And it's not just me. And, and that's why I'm like, yeah. I, I hate to guarantee it, but like I can almost guarantee that if you fire the client, you know you need to fire, you're going to get a better one like pretty quickly. <laughs> if this is resonating with you right now, listen to her. Do it. Fire the client. I know it's hard. You have to do it though. And honestly, like one of the conversations I I always come back to when, when a coaching client of mine is struggling with a client that it's obvious that they don't want to continue working with. It's like how much, not, not just your time, how much of you is this relationship taking up? Like your energy, your thoughts, like when you wake up, when you're lying in bed at night, like is this, this person or this relationship consuming other areas of your life? And most of the time, I feel like when it's, when it's a client worthy of firing, then they they probably are taking up more space than they need to. And that's affecting you in other ways. Oh, a hundred percent. Even just like how you show up, like your confidence. I mean, there's a million things that it can impact when you're working with a bad fit client. And, And these aren't like bad people, right? And I talk a lot about firing clients and it's rarely because they're a bad person. Like sometimes 
yeah, that's for sure happened. But most of the time, it's just really not a fit. It's not a, it's not a fit, like maybe communication wise, personality wise, expectations wise, like they maybe don't see the value fully. Like maybe there's something about the process that doesn't work. Like there's a million things that can go wrong. But when those things are going wrong, they're rarely fixable. Rarely, I find. Uh, and you're better off just like you're better off and they're better off parting Absolutely. ways and and finding something that fits versus trying to to alter their behavior make them an ideal fit client get get them to respond yeah, or that, feedback or whatever and yeah that doesn't happen that no almost never happens <laughs> yeah. okay so walk us through like like how do you know when it's time to fire a client and and how do you approach that oh man so i rely a ton in business on my gut a ton a ton, a ton. And so that works for me. And it took me a really long time to figure that out. And I can pretty easily distinguish between something I'm scared about or nervous about, or there's some fear around versus something that is like my gut saying, yeah, hell no. Or even just like a little whisper of like, oh, I think you should be concerned about that. That's probably not going to be good in the long run. Like those types of things feel different. Like in my body, they feel different things that are based in things that are that are based in like a a no from my gut are more like in my gut and they feel heavy they feel like really heavy to me versus like being scared Oh man, it's just like so hard to explain this. I wish this was like my specialty. I'm sure I could explain it really really well. Like that's me too. It's like this heavy feeling where it's like you just you know in your core that something is off and then it can be like this. Yeah. And like, if you think about it, being scared doesn't feel, you don't feel heavy and like sluggish when you're scared. That's like not what it feels like. It feels more like racy or, you know, like it's a little bit more like frantic of a feeling or like doubt, you know? And I think to like looking at areas in your business where you have a gut feeling that you're trying to logic your way out of it, that should be a major red flag so and an indication yeah. that you need to like really look at what you're trying to like if you're spending a lot of mental energy trying to be like how can i make this work or like like that's a that's a major red, red flag so like i look for that i also have some like actual legitimate red flags when it comes to vetting clients that come on so if people are um inconsistent communicators so think think of you know everyone i think has experienced this someone reach out reaches out to you they want to work with you okay great you go back and forth and then you don't hear from them for a week or two weeks and then you hear from them again they're like okay great i'm ready to do the thing and then you don't hear from them for two weeks that is a that's a big no no for me i actually just made a rule within the last couple of months if that is the communication pre client it's a hard no. It's a pass. Like because because of what we do, that actually shows up typically in communication with our team and communication as we're trying to implement things and it's 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 their method or mode or it's how they communicate and how they decision make and it just doesn't work for what we do. So it's not again not to say that they're a bad person, it just doesn't work. Nitpicking about because we do everything on 
hours, an hour basis, nitpicking about like, how is, how was that hour spent? Or like, can you explain this 25 minutes? Like Mm -hmm. that is a big no, no for us because Mm -hmm. that's actually typically more of an indicator of a lack of trust in us and in, in what we do. And so that's a big red flag. Nitpicking our contract is a, is a red flag. Like there's all kinds of things. And, And that's not to say that I'm not willing to have a conversation and I want people to do due due diligence on our, on our contract. But when people are asking for like a lot of weird little changes, like again, that shows up in the relationship long-term. So I have, I have got like a whole long list of things that I've learned over time. What is an actual red flag? And it's funny on the team, sometimes we call these pink flags that the accumulation of many pink flags True. is one big yeah. red flag. That's a no-no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Turning something that's like a bigger issue into a cute, a cute example. I think that this is especially important for the listeners on Freedom Found because most of them are copywriters, other service providers that might be operating a small agency, might be still doing done-for-you work or some coaching work. And I hear time and time again, like excuses made for keeping clients, maybe not setting boundaries, not setting the expectations that you're outlining right now. So how do you approach your boundary setting and how do you just withhold it within both life and business? and have that balance, you know, because you've got two little ones at home as well. You've got the team and you've got your clients. So how are you loving on everybody and yourself? Mm -hmm. Okay. One thing I want to mention first that I think is really important is I wasn't born (laughs) knowing how to navigate all this, right? And like, even though this was my third business, I have by far learned I would say 90% of my lessons in this business, like, especially when it comes to things about like, communication and boundaries and team management and like being a CEO, like all of those things I've essentially learned in the last like 18 months. And I am a firm believer in doing to learn this stuff because I think it's really easy. Even people listening to this conversation being like, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. I'm going to fire the client or like, yeah, I'm going to like figure out what my red flags are and then like look for those in potential clients. I only know my red flags because I've said yes to people who like do these things that then I realized later were a problem. My very first, well, my very second client, I lost money on. And I had no idea. And this was partly because I didn't hold boundaries with her. And I went way above and beyond on over delivering so far that I was paying out more money in contracted work than she was paying me. Uh, Well, that is like an insane boundary issue that I would not have learned had I not had that client. And so I just want to flag that for like everyone listening who's like, I'm having a hard time, like, you know, setting boundaries up front or like, I don't know what my boundaries are. Like sometimes you just have to do the thing and then realize, okay, what's the lesson I needed to learn from that client or from that experience or from that whatever so that I can apply it moving forward. But that's the key thing is you have to, you have to look at it and analyze it and pull the lesson from it and then actually do something different. So that's why I know what my red flags are. That's why I feel like I know pretty well how to fire a client because I've probably fired five or six clients in the last two years. And and, and that's why like it's kind of easy for me to do that now. Like I know how to have those conversations and I, I am very transparent, but I don't over explain. Like I just have this whole way of how I do it but that's not how I did it the first time or the second or the third or the fourth. It was an absolute shit show when I fired those people because I didn't know how to do it, you know? So just 
it's okay if you're like in that messy phase where you just have no idea how to do it or it feels, you know, it feels fuzzy or unclear. That's okay. But on the boundaries piece, yeah, man, I, um, my boundaries come down more to like guarding, like how I feel like, I don't know, this maybe sounds weird. Like I, I don't have like a ton of strict boundaries, like around client communication. Like for some people, they need that. Like they need to have strict boundaries around not responding on weekends or not responding at night. My life is just like kind of generally too hectic to have that kind of structure. I like to do stuff during the day with my kids. Like I just, I I don't live like a standard nine to five lifestyle. And so I like to work on the weekends. I like to work on night uh, at night. I, I I like to do those types of, types of things. So my boundary is more around giving my pr- myself permission to do whatever the hell I want. Like, like that's my boundary, and I don't make myself feel bad if other people want to do it a different way and say you should ha- you should take weekends off. Well, I don't really care what you think, and that's my boundary, right? So everyone do their own thing. I think is the key thing. <laughs> yeah, and and just not caring. You know, my partner Dale and I we say all the time: silent thoughts of other people. They do not matter. What matters is how you live your life. <laughs> yeah, but but it's similar, related. Like we do enforce strict boundaries with the team because mm-hmm. my employees they don't, they shouldn't be expected to work the same hours that I work. And so my employees are, are encouraged to set boundaries around client communication. So, and this is in all of our contracts too. So like they will send a message on Friday saying, you know, Hey client, so-and-so I'm logging off for the weekend. Feel free to send any messages here that you want to send. I'll see them first thing Monday. Like that is putting a boundary on communication. And that I think is a really nice, like, tactful way to do it so that you're setting the expectation every single week with people that like, Hey, we're here to support you, but we're not going to respond in the next couple of days, you know? And, and so those kind of little things. Yeah, totally. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and also like, you know, we know when to say no to our clients. We say no to our clients all the time. Oh, you want that done? Or you want that by that deadline? Well, that's not going to work. Like that's a lot of my job is helping my clients set boundaries around what's what's realistic? Like, what can we realistically get done? What's possible? But again, like I didn't, I wasn't very good at that at the beginning and I would say yes to things. And then I would be forced to (laughs) make it happen and it would negatively impact my life. And so again, I think you kind of have to experience it to be like, okay, well, I know what happened last time I did that. Not going to do that again. So I I need to say no this time. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes back to what you said earlier, which is like not just sitting on it, taking action like immediately, you know? So if you feel like, okay, this wasn't ideal, there are things that I would cheek and tweak and change, then I'm, I'm going to implement that on like the very next project or the next client I'm onboarding, you know, and make that part of the routine. I think that yeah. that's the only way that it's just slow evolution then, you know, and then you end up in a place where you are now, where you've got these boundaries, you, you understand all the pink flags, red flags, you have the team set up for success and clients set up for success and in su- such a short amount of time too. Yeah, for sure. And I don't, I don't know this for sure, but I feel it to be true that our emphasis since the very beginning of our business on like radical transparency and like being really raw and honest, both publicly 
and also within our team and also to our clients has been very, very helpful in this. Like you don't get into as many situations where boundaries are ignored if you're kind of if, if the expectation that everyone is like honestly communicating about what's possible mm-hmm. or, you know, those types of things, like it's just kind of like built into, it's built into what we do and kind of our approach to business internally and externally. And that I think has helped a ton because it's allowed us to say like very frankly to clients, like, Hey, we're not going to be able to do that anymore. Or, hey, our prices are going up because we have lots of people who want to work with us and we don't have any spots or like, you know, we're just very open across the board about what's going on. And that I think is extremely helpful. Yeah. And, and it must just build rapport immediately with clients. They they have this sense of trust um, and connection with you then trusting what you're saying, what's happening behind the scenes. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not uncommon that people will be like, oh, can I ask you this? Because I know you'll tell me that your honest opinion and like yep. what you actually think. <laughs> like, yeah, of course. That's so what I'm here for. <laughs> exactly. Okay, well, this has just been, for lack of a better word, a very transparent, real conversation. And I have enjoyed hearing like all of the knowledge nuggets that you've left along the way. And there's one question that we'd like to ask at the end of all episodes here. And that is that each of us have started our business for some version of freedom that we'd like to live out, you know, whatever that means to us. So what advice do you have for entrepreneurs listening that are on a mission to incorporate more freedom into their life? Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's a, that's a deep, that's a deep final question. Okay. I think, so what comes to mind and what I think this is really important because there's, there's some conversation around this, but I wish there was more really look at what type of business that you're trying to build? Like what, what do you actually want to be doing on a daily basis? And, and I mention this because the way that my business interacts with my life is very different than if I was trying to build a lifestyle business. And, and, and that's not like, there is no right or wrong here with like the types of businesses that, that you can choose from, but you have to be super clear on it because I know, I knew going into this that because my vision of what I'm trying to build is so big, there are going to be trade-offs I'm going to have to make with my life. But, but that works for me. It works for me. It works for my personality. It works for what I'm trying to build long-term. It works for all kinds of reasons that this, this thing that I do would not work for everyone. It would not be fun for a lot of people. Just like me optimizing for the least amount of work possible would not work for me because I've done that and I end up filling my time with other things because I genuinely like working and I like creating new things. And so you need to know yourself. You need to know what you want to build long-term. You need to know how you actually want to be spending your time. And sometimes you don't know that until you start to build it. And it's part of why we're now going like a totally different route than we were going last year. But I didn't know that until I tried it. So sometimes you just have to try it and figure that out. And so I would say get clear on what the big vision is for what you're trying to build is and then try it and then decide if you want to keep doing that and permission to change your mind. So those are, I think, are like probably the three most important things. So good. And listening to your gut, like that permission to change your yes. mind is like, oh, it's always, always there. 
I was like, listen to your gut. What you don't want to do is like have that feeling in your gut, go build something, burn it down, build something, burn it down, build something, burn it down. When you could have gone partway down the path, realized that, oh, okay, I could just, I could just switch. I could change my, my trajectory, you know, and stand at the helm over here on this side instead. So thank you for that advice. And just for sharing and being so open with us today, it has been such a gift to be able to sit down and talk with you. And, um, you know, I just adore you and, and your, like you said, radical transparency, something we need much more of in the online space. So for the listeners right now that would love to connect with you, see more of that radical transparency, where can they do that? How can they find you? easiest way is to go to easyscaling.com. That's our website there. You can find my Instagram. That's where I hang out. Uh, and then we have a podcast, all the things. So easyscaling.com. You can find everything there. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. This is so fun. Thank you so much for being a loyal Freedom Found podcast listener. And if you love this episode, it would mean the world to me if you would pass this on to a friend. This is how we can help support each other and get this message out to more women that might be waiting right now to hear a message just like this. So you can go and share this with your business best friend right now or head on over to leave us a five-star review. Your small gesture really does mean more than you know. Thank you so, so much. Love you lots and I'll catch you next time.